I'm going to welcome Dee Bresman to the stage, and we are going to read the scripture. If you're new with us or you have not been a part of this series, what we're doing at the beginning of every message is we are reading the passage that we're going to be talking from. So Dee's going to be reading from Ephesians 4, and what I want you to do is I want you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, And Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, 
Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Dee. All right, so let's, let's have some context for what we just heard. We've probably all had heard at some point that following Jesus or being a Christian is not about a list of do's and don'ts. You heard that before? And then you read Ephesians 4 and 5, and you're like, that felt like a lot of do's and don'ts to me. That felt like a lot of do this, don't do that. And so we experience this tension within ourselves of, wait, is it do's and don'ts or is it not do's and don'ts? If I do these things, am I more loved and accepted by God? If I don't do these things, is, is God like the school principal who's sitting there giving me a grade on that day's performance? So I need to make sure I'm doing the right things, checking the right boxes, that's usually what happens when we read something like this. We experience that tension. The reality, though, is that being a disciple of Jesus will transform your life. It will result in some things that you used to do being things that you no longer do. It'll result in some things that you've, never, that, that, that you've never done being things that you desire to do. It will result in a transformation in your life. So long as you allow it to. Transformation comes when we submit to it and we allow it to come. Things change in our life when we go after that change. And usually going after that change means that we've got to let some things in our lives be looked at. Real life example for right now. Earlier this year, I turned 40, which is really exciting to me. You know, 40 used to be like, over, I'm over the hill. That used to be like a thing. Now I'm like, man, I am just getting started. I am so excited about what the second half of my life holds, it is going to be rich and good and powerful. And in order to see it happen, some things got to change. Some things have to change in my life. I really looked at my life and said, all right, there are some practical things that need to change. If I'm going to be the person I want to be and do the things I feel like God's called me to do and actually feel good while I'm doing it, one of the practical areas I looked at in my life that I wanted to see transformed, this is the context here, is I wanted to see something change in my life. I believe that each one of you want to see something change in your life. You want to see something transformed. I wanted to see my physical health transformed. Here's why. One, I, I never really exercised. And as a, before I was 40, I would wake up consistently with hip pain. Like, on a regular basis. 
like enough pain to be on a, a regimen of Tylenol. And I'm like, okay, that's messed up, man. I'm like, I was in my 30s having to be on a regular regimen of Tylenol because of hip pain. Like, that should be something that's reserved for the next end of 40, all right? I'm like, no. I also couldn't tell you the last time I had consistent good sleep in my life. Since I was in my early 20s, I don't remember having an easy time falling asleep, staying asleep most of the night, and not waking up tired. Kind of a joke around my house was, Dad's just got insomnia. He will usually, two or three nights a week, end up in the living room, reading a book with a headlamp on to to not turn on all the lights, because it's two o'clock in the morning and he woke up again and he can't sleep. That's just been the normal rhythm of my life for the last 10, 15 years. And when it came to uh, food and exercise, I'm like, yeah, no, didn't really do it. Kind of ate whatever I want, whenever I wanted. And I just said, okay, that can't happen anymore in my life. Some things have to change. So I hired a personal trainer because I don't know what to do when it comes to working out. I would either run and do some push-ups, and that was the extent, and I would do it for about a week, and then... Seven months later, I would jump back in and run for a week and then do it again. I changed some of the things about my lifestyle. I stopped drinking coffee at 8 p.m. so that I could go to sleep. Yeah, it sounds normal, but I'm like, you know, that shot of espresso after dinner wasn't helping me get good sleep. Something had to change. I love espresso, you know, but I had to say, okay, something's got to change. You know, but the most radical thing that... I've been doing is really paying attention to what does food do in my body. And I'm going to move on from me and talk about the Bible here in just a moment, but it's been really fascinating because I still don't know what food does to my body, but I'm trying to learn. I've got this little glucose meter on the back of my arm where I'm scanning this thing with my phone every few hours and it's sending details to my doctor so that I can understand what's actually happening in my body while I eat so that I can make sure and eat foods that make me feel better so that I'm healthier. But the grossest thing I've had to do is I had to do a stool sample, an at-home stool sample, double gross, all right? See, here's the, but here's, here's the point. I want to see transformation take place in my physical health, which means I'm willing to go through the examinations needed in order to see that transformation. The reality is, is that when we want to see transformation take place in our lives, we must be willing to submit to an examination of our lives. We say we want transformation. We say we want change. If you say that, then what you're willing to do is submit to the examination of say, does this allow me to move towards that? Is this really a transformed life? What what we're experiencing in Ephesians 4 is the examination. First part of of Ephesians 5, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rules that if you check off, God's more pleased with you. It's an examination of saying, okay, am I allowing myself to become more like Jesus? Am I letting him look at me and see if I am being changed more into his image? Am I letting the gospel story 
change my story. See, that's what Ephesians has been about. If we were to review where we've been in Ephesians so far, what we would see is the first three chapters are laying out the gospel story. The gospel story, this beautiful climax of Jesus coming into the earth, building a new multi-ethnic community that he calls the church, no longer just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles coming together. It's this outlaying of this gospel story from Ephesians 1 through 3, unpacking what it is and what it looks like. And then in Ephesians 4 through 6, what Paul is doing is he's issuing a challenge to us to let the gospel story change our story, to let it be a response for how you change and you live differently because of what the gospel is doing in your life. Ephesians 4 starts off by talking about that we need humility and unity in this new beautiful creation called the church. We need unity but not uniformity because there's a variety of gifts that are alive and well in the church. And so we need humility to honor what someone else brings in order to bring unity to what we have because there's a variety of gifts going on. And as we keep going through Ephesians 4 through 6, Paul's just going to continue to ramp up the challenge to say, let the gospel change you. He uses the illustration by talking about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. He's referring to the way we used to live, the way we used to think, the way we used to operate. Verse 17, let's just dive into some of it, dissect it a little bit together so that we can get into what seems like this list of do's and don'ts and actually seeing that they're a challenge for us of Paul saying, hey, let's examine how we live together. Verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. That's that's the key right there. The way they live keeps them separated from the life of God. For us to understand the way that we're supposed to live, we have to understand the way that we used to live. Paul says, don't live according to the way the Gentiles did. So how did they live? What What was their way of living? Their way of living was not rooted in true wisdom and knowledge. It doesn't mean that they were stupid. It doesn't mean that they didn't have intellect and they weren't making intellectual advancements. When we look at our world today, we don't want to live according to the world. That doesn't mean that the world is dumb. There are people who do not follow God who have incredible intellectual advancement. What it is, though, is it's not necessarily rooted in eternal significance. It's rooted in personal significance. And so we don't want to live according to that way. We want to live according to an eternal significance where we're not just living for ourselves. Some of the other ways that the Gentiles lived is they were predominantly, like their belief systems, was predominantly based in atheism and idol worship. And what that did in culture is it removed any standard of morality. Hello. That's where we're at today. 
There is no standard of morality. It's my truth. And I get to change the rules when I want to change the rules as my truth changes. That's where we live today. And, and, and they're saying, don't live according to that way. And the final way that this was lived out, and we need to know this so that we don't live according to this way, is that there was no longer any attempt to hide sin. Shock value was the order of the day. Live freely in your sin and flamboyantly in your sin. And it doesn't matter who it shocks or who it upsets as long as I get to do what I want to do. See, where they were living is not very different than where we're living. And so there's a reason Paul's calling us to live in a different way and saying, you've got to actually live differently. You've got to live differently. This whole idea of being Christians who, this is not in the notes, but this whole idea of us being people who live in the world in a way that we're trying to connect with those who are not Christians, those who don't follow the way of God. So what we end up doing is we actually look no different because we're trying to make a connection and we think that appeasement is going to build that connection. It's not. Me appeasing and stepping back from what is true is not going to build a connection that people are actually longing for. Neither is holding the line in what I believe true and being a jerk about it. It is standing for what is truth with kindness, with a gentleness. It's looking at how Jesus approached people. So often, Jesus was called a friend of sinners, which means people who were, not, who were living like the Gentiles were flocking to Jesus. They were flocking to him Though he was different, they knew he was a rabbi, they knew he taught the way of God, yet they felt welcomed by him. He confronted people with truth and compassion. And they felt like they could draw closer to him for it. That's the way in which we're called to live in this world. To take off the old self, it's like changing clothes. It's like taking off the old self and choosing to put on the new self. Choosing to put on a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of operating, which in order for me to do, means I've got to let myself be examined. I can't know if the way I'm living is right unless I look in light of something else. I've got to look in the mirror and say, are my responses to the world around me Lining up with what is in here. Is it true? Is it right? Is it honorable? And what Paul is doing in these next few few verses is he's outlining for us. Hey, here's ways in which you used to respond. Here's the new way to respond. And there's a lot of them that he gives us. And what we want to do is we want to lean into them. And we want to allow God to examine us. But before we do, I want us to just 
pause for a moment and let ourselves be reminded of the heart of God. See, so often we get caught in the trap of rules and right versus wrong and do's versus don'ts is because we forget the heart of God. It says his heart is actually for us to be full of life. And he gave everything so that we could experience that. And so I want to read from you, read to you from Isaiah 53, just some verses about what Jesus did and why he did it. That would hopefully soften all of our hearts to allow ourselves to be examined. Because an examination is not always easy. To allow yourself to be looked at and go, okay, where do I do this? Where do I do this? So let's let our hearts be softened first by remembering what God did. Isaiah 53. I'm going to read a few of the verses from here. It says, Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. When he sees all that he accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. As we step into an examination, let's remember what he did. He did it so that we could be made righteous. He did it so that we could be made whole. He did it so that we could be healed because some of the ways we used to live are killing us. They're destroying us. They're ripping us apart. But it's just the way that we know. And so we've got to let God search us and say we can't live this way any longer, which means we have to allow something to show us what is the wrong way to live and what is the full way to live. What is going to lead to death? What is going to lead to life? And right from the beginning, when Paul unpacks these things, in classic Paul fashion, he pulls no punches. He says right from the beginning, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Don't lie. I mean, just right out the gate. Paul says, don't lie. Now, when we say don't lie, most of us sit here and think, all right, not a problem. I'm not walking around telling lies all the time. Or we have this image, like if you're a parent, you are conjuring back to those moments where you're like telling your, your toddler to go brush their teeth. If you're a parent or you've been a toddler, this has probably happened to you, where a parent says, go brush your teeth. They run out of the room 10 seconds later, they run back in, and they're like, I did it. And you're like, really? You did it? Toothbrush isn't wet. You weren't even in the, in the bathroom. How did you brush your teeth? That's what we think of as lying. But it's so much more than that. What Paul is saying is, put off all falsehood. He's not saying don't just lie with... Don't, don't lie with your words, but live true. Live no lies. 
Be someone who lives what you say you believe. Be someone who, who has integrity in the way that you live. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to post something online about what you believe, then make sure it's what you're living when people aren't looking at it. Like live no lies. Put off all falsehood. Don't just say the right thing, but do the right thing. Not when you get celebrated for it, but when no one sees it. Live no lies. It says in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the foothold to the devil. Now, any therapist, or at least my therapist, will tell you that anger is just an emotion that's trying to communicate something else that's going on. It's trying to tell you that there's something happening that you need to address. Practical example. I pursue my wife at the end of a long day after we have both worked, put kids to bed, and I go to put the moves on her. And instead of being met with open arms, I'm met with scrolling and sleeping. I get angry. That anger is trying to tell me that you feel rejected. At the same time, she's probably feeling angry that here is another person that is needing something from me and is not bothering to ask what I might need. She goes to bed angry. What happens is you both wake up angry because anger has the ability to grow and become other things. You ever notice that? When something ticks you off, really makes you upset, and you don't deal with what it's actually stirring inside of you, it becomes other things. It becomes accusations about the person. It becomes lies that you believe about what they were thinking, why they did what they, they did. It becomes resentment. It becomes bitterness. When What we need to do in that moment, because what we're called to do is as far as, it, as far as it's able for us to live at peace with all people. So when I feel that anger rising up in me, that's the real question we're asking is, okay, well then what do I do with it? When I'm at work and I throw out an idea in a meeting and instead of listening to my idea, everyone around the table starts poking holes in it. And I'm just saying, whoa, I was just trying to throw out an idea. I didn't say this is the direction we needed to go. And all of a sudden you're ticked off. What do you do with that anger? What we have to learn how to do is in order to live differently, we have to address it. Which means oftentimes we're going to have to have conversations that make us uncomfortable. So that we can bring these things into the light and help get the anger resolved so that it doesn't end up becoming bitterness, resentment, lies, and accusations. And let me just, we all know that if you think you can work through that without talking to the people who've been a part of it, it's not possible. 
you're going to have to talk about it. You're going to have to address it. You're going to have to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody because you can't fully resolve it on your own because it didn't just happen between you and yourself. All right, let's keep going. There's a lot that Paul said in this, and so I'm going to try to, I'm going to skip some. Yeah, we'll jump to verse 29. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, for whom you were sealed for the day of salvation, for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. You know, if I were, if I'm imagining Paul being on stage preaching this message instead of me, I think at this point, Paul, you know what he's saying? Be kind. Be kind. You know, in my opinion, Christianity has lost some foothold in culture, not because we have stood for the right things and it's cost us, but because we're rude. That's what's cost us, not standing for truth, but being mean. For yelling at people who don't believe what we believe, who've not given their life to Jesus, And shaming them for their life. A life they don't even believe they're supposed to live. The very people we're called to reach, we beat down. We go after. We yell at. We rant about on social media. We jump into the comment section. And we just tear them apart. That's what's costing us. Truth will always make a way for you. And so will kindness. You're going to have the opportunity this week, if you're online, you're going to to see things. You've probably already seen it. Whatever your social media of choice is, you've seen all the comments. Somebody that you went to high school 20 years ago said something that you disagree with, and something's in you going to want to say something back. I know I haven't talked to you in 20 years. I hadn't seen you. I didn't even like you then. But I'm going to say something about what you had to say. Don't. Just don't. If you can't keep your mouth shut, then get off of it. All right, enough. If you can't stay out of the comment section, then throw away your computer. Just get rid of it. It's not worth it because it's not gaining you any real meaningful influence in people's lives. You know, you want to make a difference in someone's life on social media? Look for the person who posted about their pain. Step into that and show and speak a word of kindness. You want to make a difference? Someone who posted about their anniversary. Celebrate it. Start commenting on those things. And if somebody posts something that you disagree with, get over it. Welcome to living in the world. Not everyone agrees with you. You don't need to say everything, something, everything you're thinking all the time. That's why it's called thinking, not talking. 
You ever have somebody ask you that? What are you thinking? You really want to know? If I wanted you to know, I'd be talking right now. Sometimes we just need to think and not have it come out of our mouth or come out of our keyboards. Wow. All right. Oh, man. I'm running out of time. Okay, let's, let's hit on this. I want to hit on one more and then talk about how do we respond? How do we submit ourselves to ex- examination? You know what? No, we're just going to go straight there. I wrote like 25 pages of notes because there's just so much here. You know, Paul goes on to say in chapter 5, be very careful how you live. I don't think what he's saying is like a a parent to a, a toddler on a playground saying, oh, be careful, be careful. I don't think he's telling us to play cautiously, to live cautiously. I think he's telling us to live with intentionality, to live with purpose, to live with eyes wide open, fully aware of how we live, what we're doing, how it impacts other people. Is it aligning with who God's made us to be? Does it line up with me living as a new self? Does it compare to the life of Jesus? Am I representing him wherever I go? I mean, because that's what we're made for. We're made to be changed into his image and represent him wherever we go. So am what I doing, is what I'm doing representing him wherever I go. Be careful how you live. Pay close attention to what you're saying, what you're doing, your responses. And the only way to really do that is to lean into a prayer that is prayed in Psalm 139. Search me and know my heart. You you really want to submit to an examination by the Holy Spirit saying, God, really, show me. Make this your prayer. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Any offensive way within me. You know, God wants to see our lives transformed. Because he, not because it suits his purposes and makes him look better. God's not concerned with that. It's because he's got, a, he's got the fullness of life that he wants you to live into. Remember what we read earlier in Psalm 139? Everything about your life I knew before you were even born. The good works that I planned for you. The life you were meant to have. I knew. I planned. I dreamed about. I longed for. I want you to experience it. So I want you to not live according to the old way that's sucking life from you. But I want you to live in a way that is putting life into you. That's making it possible for you. So let yourself be searched. Let your ways be examined. Let your thoughts be checked. Let people into your life. 
You know, one of the ways that we, we go about doing this is that we allow other people into our life to speak into it. And not just to like speak into, hey, you can be great. I believe in you. But like, hey, what are you watching? Is there anything that's a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed? What are you looking at online? How are you spending your money? We let people into our lives. And we say, okay, have a look. Is anything in there feel questionable? That feels scary, doesn't it? It feels scary to open up your checkbook. Do people even have checkbooks anymore? But if we're serious about saying, okay, I really want to be transformed. I really want to see my life changed. You got an area in your life that you feel stuck in? It's time to get serious and say, okay, have I really been submitting to an examination? Or have I just been giving it lip service? Do I really want to see this changed? Because God does. It's just going to be hard. It's, it's possible, but it's going to be hard. You have to lean into it. You're going to have to let some people maybe challenge what you're doing. You have to do some things differently than you've ever done them before. But God's going to empower you to do it. He's going to lead you in a way where you can experience it. You know, I find it interesting what how Paul ends this. He's talked about how we should live and what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And he closes with this response. So what do you do if you want to live this way, if you want to be transformed, if you want to see your life examined, if you want to live full of the life of God? Sing. It says in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Sing. Get around other people and worship. Worship on your own. He says, sing with one another and then sing your own song to the Lord. You want to see your heart start to be transformed is get in a place where you're lifting up who God is. Worship. Get around your friends and worship. When you're driving to work, don't just play music in the background. Worship to it. Lift up your own song. Let the words actually come out of your mouth audibly. Sing. And get your heart proclaiming who God is. Get your words declaring what He's about. And give thanks. Give thanks. It sounds overly simplistic. You know, we once had a, uh, honestly, a, a great man of God, a mentor in our home. Is a, many of you know him, uh, Joe Ewan. He's a, a, a Scottish fisherman. 
turned pastor. And he was in our home for about a week. And about every 10th word out of Joe's mouth was thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Just over and over, he'd say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He'd start to name little things that he was thankful for just by sitting at the table. No one was even around him, but he's just thanking. Let me tell you, the atmosphere of our home shifted in that week because every little thing was thanked. Every little thing he recognized God in. And it shifted things. We began to operate differently as a family because thankfulness was being proclaimed. You know, why don't we go ahead and stand? We're going to worship here in a moment. And I recognize the reality that we just talked through a bunch of ways that you should change. And there's some tension being felt. And you're like, man, I didn't know that I was going to come to church and experience this today. But the reality is, is that God wants you to experience his heart. He wants you to experience his heart for you so that you're willing to let him examine you. He wants your life to be full. But there's some things that we lean into that don't lead us to that. So we have to trust that he's going to lead us into a full life. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to do what Paul said to do, which is worship. And what I believe is going to take place as we worship is that we're going to touch God's heart. Touch God's heart for us. And what it's going to allow us to do is have courage to face our own examination. Of, okay, God, what needs to change in my life? What needs to shift? And I trust that I, it needs to shift because you're for me. And so I want to pray for us that we would lean in right now and say, God, would you, God, would you do that? Would you allow us to touch your heart? Would you allow us to connect again with your heart that went to the cross on purpose so that we could be made whole, so that we could be healed, so that we could be restored, so that we could be the redeemed of God? Would you give us the courage to receive what you want to do in our lives, even if it means correction, even if it means resetting us to look a new way, to operate a new way, to repent, to receive forgiveness again. God, we want to be like you. We want to be transformed into your image. So give us the courage today to step into the examination that will lead to that transformation. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.